0: Hello and welcome to the Allen Film Scoop. Uh, As you can see, it's just a film scoop at the moment. Uh, Due to our conflicting schedules, love that phrase. uh, We have done we're doing different parts of the Allen Film Scoop this week, and Never the Twin Shall Meet. So this is week 109 of the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. That's right, two weeks. We're all in this together. Children are still wearing masks in parts of America. And uh, whilst the, the the great and the good and the elite and our betters are going to award ceremonies without masks and concerts, we're not all in this together. And when someone tells you it's two weeks, never believe them. So I'm going to introduce the show and do an interview, and then Anne is going to do an interview, and then I'm going to sign off because we're we're all over the place, confused. Uh, you probably will be after this week's show. Um, so what's on this week's show? Um, is it, first of all, is it time to defund the FBI? From FBI lovebirds to FBI fake kidnapping plots, is the FBI the original and most dedicated of the never-Trumpers? Uh, and we look at the world's richest man buying a media communications organization is bad for democracy. Says, uh, bad for democracy and the world, says another media organization by the owned by the world's second richest man. And a new twist on the idea that the solution to too much government is always more government. Organizations that create problems now want your money and your trust to solve these very same problems. And forget location, location, location. In modern America to make serious money in real estate, you need to cry racism, racism, racism. And talking about racism, racism. Yes, we we talk to someone who gives you the true story about the dishonest attacks On Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and the political activities of his wife Ginny and Anne will be looking will be following up on her series of uh, people who've moved from blue states to red states what they like what they don't like what they miss what they don't miss and what they like about their state and why they moved there so let's get the show underway big show today so either the FBI are very stupid or very politically corrupt and I'm going with a latter. Don't forget they forged documents, forged documents. They've admitted they forged documents to allow them to investigate Trump's 2016 campaign, which then led to the an obviously partisan dossier uh, that had such murky origins and glaring errors. It was full of errors. It had meetings in Russian consulates in cities that didn't have Russian consulates. It had people traveling to places where the travel record would show they'd never been. Uh, It should have been laughed out of the FISA court. Instead, the FBI forged documents and and slandered uh, a CIA operative. So just to show you how corrupt they are, the CIA approached Carter Page. Uh, They knew he was traveling to Russia and they said, look, Russians are going to approach you to try and turn you would you talk to them, cooperate with them, try and find out what they're trying to find out, work for us. So he agreed, he he voluntarily agreed to work for the CIA at great personal risk, at great business risk, uh, because he loved his country and he, he wanted to help the CIA. So it involved him then meeting lots of dodgy Russians and br- briefing C- his CIA handlers when he got back or in country. And who knows, bringing invaluable intelligence to the CIA. And when the FBI wanted an excuse to uh, surveil and try and find dirt on the Trump campaign, what did they do? They went. They looked at Carter Page, who was advising the Trump campaign, and they said, oh, look, he's meeting dodgy Russians. They hid the fact that he was actually a CIA asset, and they forged a document that said he was a CIA document uh, asset to say he is not a CIA asset. So that is what the FBI... Not a surprise now that the jury has decided that they set these four guys up, or two of the four guys up, in in a fake plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, the Michigan governor. And don't forget, this was before the 2020 election, and then the left and the media were able to spin this as a Trump-inspired kidnap plot. Uh, I think it's time to defund the FBI and disband the FBI, um, what it does can be done by other agencies, uh, that are not Washington based, that are not elitist, that can be more localized. Most of American life, the FBI did not exist. Uh, and I think we can go back to the FBI not, in, not existing. I mean, what are they, they investigate bank robberies. I think uh, local police can investigate bank robberies. They investigate espionage against America. I think there are other organizations that can do that. Um, this is not this is an organization not fit for purpose from struck and page planning to bring down the trump campaign fantasizing about bringing down the trump campaign in between fantasizing about other things uh, struck and page the fbi lovebirds um you know don't forget struck said we're going to have we're going to, need to launch the trump investigation now as an insurance policy in case he gets elected in other words if he gets elected then we'll have something to unelect him you know, and all the time by the way, before when they were setting up these this fake Gretchen Whitmer plot, kidnap plot, Hunter Biden's laptop was there with all his corrupt dealings with communist owned Chinese companies and Ukrainian com- Russian backed Ukrainian companies and he was there's emails we were saying where he was cutting the big guy his father Joe Biden in for 10% and the FBI never investigated, the FBI never communicated, and they allowed former FBI operatives to say this at all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. And now they're saying this, uh, you know, not they, but the media are now saying, oh yeah, this laptop is genuine, and the emails are genuine. Uh, this is why we're making the My Son Hunter movie, that, this is why, and we'll be releasing excerpts of the My Son Hunter movie soon. And... Uh, uh, we, hope, we hope to bring them, those to you very shortly. This is this is why the truth needs to get out. This is why you can support My Son Hunter uh, uh, movie at mysonhunter.com. Um, it's a great movie. It's the truth. The media is finally catching up that it's the truth. It couldn't have been better timed. If you help make it happen, thank you so much. You're part of a great movement. You're part of a, 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 a helping get the truth out. And, boy, are we going to get the truth out. And talking about the truth... Elon Musk has bought almost 10% of Twitter. Uh, The Washington Post published an op-ed saying that this was a dark day for democracy and will be bad for Twitter and it's highly disconcerting and they want federal regulations to prevent the rich from controlling social media. Jeff Bezos, the world's second richest person in the world, owns the Washington Post. So you here you have one multi-multi-billionaire who owns a powerful media organization, which covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story, uh, saying that another billionaire cannot own uh, 10% of Twitter, which allows the government of Iran to tweet, which allows Hezbollah to tweet, but does not allow uh, President, former President Donald Trump to tweet. Yes, I think, and by the way, the person who wrote the op-ed, Ellen Powell, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she famously, uh, you know, she's put up as this person who took on Silicon Valley and it's sexism. Let's forget, don't forget, she alleged she was treated in a sexist way and discriminated against. A jury found she was not. A jury found that she was either mistaken or lying about her allegations. And she still has credibility. We're supposed to still listen to what she has to say. You know, a jury found that actually her company did not discriminate against her well, it was not sexist, that Silicon Valley is not systematically sexist. So um let's let's not take the Washington Post seriously and not let's not take Ellen Powell seriously. And I think we should especially not take the Washington Post seriously, because you know, only last week did they finally, 17 months after it emerged, after the New York Post wrote the story, did the Washington Post admit the Hunter Biden laptop was genuine? Did they admit the emails within it were genuine, the big guy emails, the 50% emails? And they go through all this elaborate process in their articles in the Washington Post saying, here's how we got it. We, we got two experts to anal- analyze the, the, the data and the hard data and all the data I don't understand. But this could have been done 17 months ago. And by the way, you can do it a lot in ways that are a lot less complicated. Most of these emails, six people were CC'd, you know, five people, four people. You write to them all at those email addresses saying, Did you get this email? Is this email genuine? Does it correspond to your records? Tony Bobolinsky said all those emails were genuine. He was on public giving interviews about that. You ignored those Washington Post. So um, I think we'll just not listen to you when you talk about people, rich people owning media outlets or communication outlets. Uh, because, until you uh, clean up your own house. What else is going Oh yeah, no. the American Academy of Pediatrics is going to partner in a first-of-its-kind uh, blueprint for youth suicide prevention. Uh, as someone said on Twitter, I have a blueprint for them. Don't sign off on prolonged school closures and aggressively promote masking on children's beautiful faces. Yes, if you wanted to you know, have a blueprint to stop youth suicide, the best place for children is in school with their friends in Structure. Uh, that they really love Uh, and then you'll find the suicide rate won't be so high so you know this is a classic example of people creating problems and then saying we need more money and more power to solve the very problems we created well if you created the problems I I don't trust you to solve them and so should no one else so let's go now to the interview I have just done uh, with Mark Paoletta Mark's been on the show before a great friend of the show and a friend of ours he worked on the Clarence Thomas confirmation. He's also a friend of Clarence Thomas. He's also a friend of Ginny Thomas. You may have seen all the articles about Ginny Thomas's political activism and why this means that Clarence Thomas should be recused from all these cases that liberals would like him not to have a voice on. We are going to talk to Mark Pelletta now, who's going to give us concrete examples of why this is a double standard, why these standards were not applied to liberal judges whose families uh, were much closer to the cases they were judging on and there was no clamour for recusal and how the media has actually lied about some of those examples. Let's go over to that interview now that I did with Mark earlier. Welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Yeah, No problem. No problem. So, yeah, the reason we wanted to talk to you is because you worked on the confirmation of Justice Thomas. You've, uh, you're, I think you're a friend of Justice Thomas and his wife, Ginny. Uh, we know Ginny well also. Now, there's a lot of stories out at the moment about Ginny Thomas's political activism uh, and how that is the basis for, should be the basis for Justice Thomas recusing himself from controversial Supreme Court cases. Uh, by the way, all, most cases nowadays are controversial. Um, right. uh, that's the Supreme Court. I, in my opinion, that's the Supreme Court we live in. That's the world we live in. So, on, on the face of it, by the way, this, this seems like a reasonable request, does it not? If your wife is involved in pol- political activism about topics that you will be judging on, perhaps in the interest of fairness, you know, uh, you shouldn't uh, comment on it. Tell us what's wrong with that uh, idea.
1: Yeah, the idea is that you're two independent people uh, who have your own views. And yeah. so a judge, when they go on the bench takes an oath uh, to, you know, to, to do his or her job as a judge. And you may have a spouse, you may have a daughter, you may have a son who has different views. And, and so the recusal laws, so when you look at it in that context, you know, if, if, if there were, you know, you could think about if somebody was a was a family member and wanted to recuse, Force your recusal uh, by, let's say, it's your brother. You've had a falling out with your brother, and your brother comes out and says something that's, you know, uh, to sort of force your recusal. Um, so, at the end of the day, the recusal laws are really about financial interests, right? And whether your okay. spouse or your family member um, has an interest or is a party to that litigation. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, statute and the, the in this whole discussion. There's, this, there's a lot of sort of um, misinformation, if you will, yes. uh, that the Supreme Court isn't subject to the recusal laws. They don't have a code of ethics, right? But they are subject to the, a federal law. It's 28 U.S.C. 455 that governs when a judge, a justice or a judge, a uh, lower court judge, has to recuse himself from a case. And it would be again if you' if you have a family member who's a, a spouse if you have a financial interest in, in a particular you know company or something like that but mm-hmm. yeah. if your spouse or family member it's defined in the statute um, has uh, is a party to the case or um, has it could be substantially impacted by the decision. so um, if you're a lawyer, uh, before the court, and you win, and you're gonna w- get a lot of money fr- from from yes. from representing that that client, you would recuse. So the Supreme Court in 1993 came up with a, a statement of uh, recusal policy that was signed by seven justices. So right across the board, from Justice Stevens to Chief yeah. uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, uh, Ginsburg, Scalia, Thomas, everybody that said, look. We have a lot of family members who are who are at law firms, and they were dealing with some of these issues where um, it had come up with Justice Chief Justice Rehnquist had a son.
0: Of course, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I, I read an article you wrote for Newsweek. You know, there shouldn't be a marriage penalty. You know, you shouldn't your because right. your your wife or husband has um, actual political opinions and uh, has makes political statements that shouldn't stop you from from judging on that matter. I mean, and as you point out in that Newsweek article, there are lots of examples of that from the past. And in fact, you know, I'm just looking, was it um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, by the way, uh, her husband, you know, was was active and and he actually had taken cases, uh, fought cases that later ended up at the Supreme Court.
1: So, sort of the seminal cases in this area, uh, which you look at in terms of precedent, or you know, you know, like, to, where are the other examples? There's a case that involved a very, very liberal judge out in California on the Ninth Circuit. His name was mm-hmm. Stephen Reinhardt. Okay, and it was a very, very big case. Talk about controversial. It was the Proposition Eight, California Constitution, to ban gay marriage in California. Mm-hmm. Amended the Constitution, and the ACLU, as you can imagine came in very strong uh, against that, and saying it was unconstitutional. Okay, so at that lower court, when it was first challenged, the ACLU was headed by Judge Reinhardt's wife. She was the executive director of the ACLU of Southern California. That case then went up to Judge Reinhardt on appeal, and he sat on that panel, and there was motions to have him recused. And... If you look at that, his opinion, he refused to do that. And he said, basically, my wife's views are her views and mine are, are mine. And no matter how prominently she talks about her views, is no more than any other person in the United yeah. States who has an interest in social policies.
0: But you yeah. want to really make the comparison there side by side. So yeah. you have Ginny Thomas, who is a political activist. Um, by the way, right. you know, I would see Ginny more as a bringer together of people you know, uh, she builds coalitions rather than that's right. leads from the front. Maybe she would disagree with me, but that's my analysis of, of what she does in the political world. Um, but here you have J- Judge Stephen Reinhardt, whose wife is the head of the ACLU. Who And the ACLU, did they file an amicus brief in this case? Yes. 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 So she's actually filing a, an amicus brief in the case, and her own husband, Is judging on that case and decides to go with her side of the argument, correct? But but he and he saw he said it was wrong that he should have to recuse himself from that. Jenny Thomas, to my knowledge, has never filed an amicus brief, has never uh, is not part of any organization that has ever been before the Supreme Court. Filed an amicus brief before, and, and an amicus, amicus brief just to let people know that's a friend of the court. You're not directly involved with it, but you're he- you're heavily supporting it, and you're adding heft to the to the brief. So Jenny has never done any of that.
1: That's exactly right. She has. She's never right. She's never practiced law. She's never filed a brief. Uh, she's never been a party to a, a a case that's gone before the Supreme Court. Um, or any, uh, I think, party to any case. Just to be clear, J- Judge Reinhardt's wife's organization filed in the court below, uh, in uh-huh. the district court. Uh, when it went up to the Court of Appeals, she didn't, they didn't file in, in the Court of Appeals. But still, it was that case that they had taken, staked the position on. And, and he thought, I don't have to recuse myself because I can do my job. Um, and my wife doesn't have an interest. OK, this is an important thing. The statute is if you have an interest in the outcome okay, of the case. And his in his view was that uh, she didn't, nor did the ACLU. Now the important thing here too
0: is it a strictly financial interest or a political interest that that, that, that is the um, recusal uh, metric?
1: Financial interest, absolutely. Financial. Financial
0: interest. Financial interest. Right. Yeah. So you cannot you can yes. have a political interest but not in a financial exactly. interest.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I think as as as, uh, as Reinhardt said. My wife's views are no different than millions of other Americans who care about same-sex marriage bans or whatever the issue is before the court. And so that's important because I, I think when you, you know, this idea of my wife has a view on something or my my spouse, my my, my husband has a view on something, I'm gonna to have to recuse. That's just, that's just nuts. And it's not what the, the statute requires. In fact, the Supreme Court again has said that if you have family members before, they even came out with a statement of a recusal policy. If you have family members filing below and involved in, in cases below, if they're not involved right at the Supreme Court as a as a as a litigant or a party, um, you don't have to you don't have to recuse. Now, the, the thing I was gonna add, Phelan, is that nobody you know, <laughs> the the so-called judicial ethics experts led by a guy named Stephen Gillers and others actually. Filed a, a case in the, uh, filed a brief in the Supreme Court defending Judge Reinhardt from, from uh, on his decision not to recuse. So you had all these ethics uh, experts who are defending Reinhardt and sort of chastising the folks that are seeking his re- re- recusal. Like you're stuck in the old ages, uh, the old age yeah. of, of women who, who can't have a separate voice and chastising is that uh, the, the folks that were trying to seek his recusal. Yet these same experts have now been attacking Jenny Thomas for doing something and having a career that's nowhere near what her name was yes. Ramona Ripston, yes. who was the head of the ACLU in Southern California doctor. And so it's shocking to me in terms of the the hypocrisy. That's what it is. It's the hypocrisy yeah, yeah. because they don't like Jenny Thomas or Justice Thomas because they're conservatives.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jenny not the president <laughs> of, 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 of the conservative ACLU or whatever. You know, she's not, she's not a, uh, in a, market leadership role but i mean but anyway i mean you talked there about the statute requiring this and re- requiring that but, but i think i would agree with the uh, with mr gillers i mean even if the statute didn't require that um, mod- modern modern moral, modern thinking mo- modern standards would say that the wife cannot be punished or the husband cannot be punished for the activities of your wife And and vice versa, the wife cannot be punished because of the activities of your husband. This, you know, if you if you you know, wives are are nowadays are independent people with independent careers, and there cannot be a marriage penalty. I mean, when I was young, women in the Irish civil service, when they got married, they had to give up their jobs. Uh, That was in the early 70s. Uh, We've we've moved beyond that. That when your husband gets a job. You know, when you when you get married, you have to give up your job. What what kind of thinking is that? Um, and now you said, if your if your spouse was involved in taking a kiss. Then the, the judge should recuse themselves, or did I mis, mishear that?
1: Judge Reinhardt would <laughs> recuse is if if his wife was litigating before him in his in the actual court in his. Court, oh, okay, in his court okay. Because right?
0: I'll tell you why I asked that question was because I read in your newsweek article about Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband, Marty Ginsburg, and according to yes. you, he practiced law at a firm that represented parties before the Supreme Court. And Justice Ginsburg never recused herself. And then law professor Jane Ginsburg, Ginsburg, the justice's daughter, wrote an article about a case pending before the Supreme Court. Uh, The the petitioner cited Jane Ginsburg's article in its brief, and Judge Ginsburg voted for the result advocated by her daughter. Now, I'm not all for one um, for, for saying people should recuse themselves. But boy, if ever there was, you know, that is getting very close to, um, to 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 the edge, isn't it? Uh, but but still, no liberal has ever said that Justice Ginsburg should have recused herself there.
1: Correct. And I want to be clear. Um, my view is that the standard that they're applying to Justice Thomas and Ginny Thomas finds no place in the law or in precedent. Okay, and and so. If they were, if they were to apply this standard that they're talking about right now for the Thomases, then all the examples that I've cited in my my columns, uh, Phelan, would require the recusal of Justice Ginsburg or take your pick yeah. of the various judges. Life. But under the recusal statute, okay, if your spouse isn't making money, if your spouse isn't b- before the court. Um, or um, making money, sort of doesn't have a financial interest, then you don't have to recuse. So in those mm-hmm. cases, so let's just go to, 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 to so your, your viewers can kind of get a sense of how this works and why I believe it's gaslighting of the Thomases. Justice Ginsburg, um, you, you know, uh, her husband was a very very prominent tax lawyer up in New York. When she gets appointed to the D.C. Circuit, they come down to D.C. because she was up in New York, and. He joins a firm in, in uh, DC, and for the from for the time until he passed away, a year before he passed away, from 1980 to 2009, he practiced law at a very prominent law firm in DC. And that law firm appeared before the Supreme Court several times, okay, either as an amicus or, in fact, representing parties. And she never recused herself from any of those cases. Now, Marty Ginsburg wasn't involved with those cases, okay, and because he was an of counsel okay, at the firm and not a partner, and I'll get to that in a second, I don't get too much in the weeds, but he wasn't making money. Even though he was a member of that firm, he wasn't involved and he wasn't making money. So under the law, as it's been applied over the years, and as it's been interpreted by the Supreme Court, you, the justice doesn't have to recuse, okay? So in terms of that backdrop of what is the practice and precedent, how it's been, you know, we wow. trust judges to do the right thing. They've wow. sworn this oath, okay? So. So with respect to Marty Ginsburg, there was another case I mentioned, right, where he represented Ross Perot, Marty Ginsburg, Mm -hmm. brilliant tax attorney. And he solved a multi-hundred million dollar case for Ross Perot. What did Ross Perot do? He endowed a chair at Georgetown Law School in Marty Ginsburg's name. That's a pretty neat gift, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. going on and on. And yet Ross Perot's company and Ross Perot individually appeared before the Supreme Court several times. Now, somebody could say, Wow, how can you sit on that case when your husband has a chair named after the guy who's before your your your, your before the court? Yeah, and the answer is because not there's no real financial interest in that case, and and she shouldn't recuse. All I'm saying is if you're going to apply this standard to the Thomases, okay, then all of these other examples are actually way, way past that line. The example of Jane Ginsburg, she was a law professor at Columbia, copyright expert. She wrote wrote an article. And in fact, um, one person who watches the Supreme Court, sort of Supreme Court expert, if you will, wrote after the case that it was sort of surprising that Judge Justice Ginsburg voted the way she did. I think he said she became a copyright hawk, perhaps influenced by her daughter's um, uh, article, which the petitioners had cited in their briefs. So again, even on that one, I'm a big, my wife's a partner at a law firm. We've been, we met in law school. We've been, we have our own separate careers. She's a telecom expert. You know, I do my thing. And if we may disagree on things and that's okay. And you can do your job and you can, you know, you can have, you can have, a spouse out there advocating separate things than you. And that's where it's just the hypocrisy of the left. Now, it's interesting in terms of dealing with the Ginsburg example. The left doesn't want to deal with that because a lot of people might think, oh, wow, you're at this law firm and your husband's firm is before the court. You should recuse. So Jane Mayer, which is the, the yeah. that was the long article that kicked all this off. It was back in January in The New Yorker. She's hated the Thomases since 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 Clarence Thomas was going through confirmation back in 1991. Mm. How does she deal with the Ginsburg example? She lies about it in it. She basically says that when when Ruth Bader Ginsburg went on the DC circuit, her husband left the law, left his law firm and turned to teaching. Right. Then now she doesn't have to deal with the fact that Marty Ginsburg's at a law firm and that law firm is appearing before you know Justice Ginsburg. Yeah. So um, so, so it's really the hypocrisy of and, and the double standard that the Thomases are being subjected to that that I really yeah yeah you know, I mean
0: I I have to say I mean well when you get when you get Jay and Mayer lying when you get people lying about it you know there's a story there that they don't want to to tackle but I mean an awful lot of people right an awful lot of people would say the fact that Marty Ginsburg is was he a partner at the law firm or uh, just he's more, of counsel of counsel he's of counsel you know that yes. he's he's connected to this law firm. That is arguing a brief before the Supreme Court. That, that definitely, there's a case, arguable case, there for recusal. Now you're saying under the rules that that doesn't apply, right? But that is a million miles uh, more closer to 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 Ruth Bader Ginsburg than Jenny Thomas's activities are to Clarence Thomas. With, with, Without a shadow of
1: doubt. 100% correct. And the only, the, the examples that they've used with Jeannie Thomas is she was on a, um, the, the National Association of Scholars, which is a conservative group. Yeah. Uh, she was on their, like a, a, an advisory board. So not paid, unbeknownst to her, that group filed an amicus brief um, at, the, at the Supreme Court on a case, didn't consult yeah. her. She didn't know about it. She didn't know about it, I think, until this story broke. Um, and yet they they are trying to make the argument that Justice Thomas, should yeah. recuse himself from that uh, that's the affirmative action case with Harvard and so again if you if you if you match up the examples of Marty Ginsburg or take your pick um, it's it's so much closer to the line if you will than yes. what the Thomas is yes. and what Ginny Thomas did particularly in that yeah. case
0: yeah so that's exactly what I'm saying I mean look you know, he, he was yeah. he was as you say at counsel or off counsel from okay. to this law firm that was arguing a case I mean and he was a world-renowned tax lawyer you know, that's a big difference. I mean, I don't know the the exact circumstances of Ginny being on the board of the National Association of Scholars. But I do know that when you're, uh, you know, in, in politics, as long as she has and, and as prominent as she is, you get invited on lots of boards and some boards you're very active on and some you're not. Some are um, symbolic, uh, you know, I, you know. And I don't know the exact examples, but you, it's definitely true that you can be on the board of something and not know the minutiae of, de- of what they're doing. Um, because you, you can't, and uh, that's not your role to know the minutiae. Your role is to either to advise or to, to make sure that they're following corporate governance, following the governance.
1: In terms of recusal, if you're on a board of directors of a company that's before the Supreme Court, okay, that would be a fiduciary duty, you, you, the, 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 that would require a recusal, okay? Yes. When you're, Ginny Thomas is not on a board of directors of, of these groups, she's just on a, an advisory board. So there's there's a big significant difference yes. between those two examples. Yes. Um, yeah. And again, I've cited a number of other examples. Uh, this judge in DC, whose husband is the the national legal director for the ACLU, (laughs) um, and um, had commented on a case that was coming out of the, the, it became another controversial case failed, Trump v. Mazar, which was about uh, whether President Trump had to uh, turn over his taxes to Congress. Mm -hmm. And a district court decision came out against Trump. And his name is David Cole, uh, the ACLU uh, legal director. He wrote an article about that opinion saying, this is fantastic. It's great. Trump is, you know, his arguments are wrong. Uh, and that case ultimately went up to his wife, who's on the D.C. Circuit, Judge Pollard and she didn't recuse herself. She voted in it on banc. It's a, it's a kind of one level up from the Court of Appeals um, in terms of the full D.C. Circuit. Mm. But she sat on that case and voted exactly as her husband had advocated. So, you know, these are the w- w- when you look at all these articles that have been out there, the editor in chief of the New Republic, Michael Tomaski. He literally wrote that Clarence Thomas should be impeached because in yes. 2012, Jeannie Thomas had criticized Obamacare by calling it a disaster. And then Justice yes. Thomas sat on the Obamacare case. And literally, that comment from Ginny required Justice Thomas's recusal, and because he didn't, he's seeking his impeachment. He's advocating for Justice Thomas's impeachment. Again, track back to the examples that I just gave you of Judge Clark yeah, yeah. and her husband yeah. commenting more specifically as a lawyer, and it's just, it's 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 I won't say it's apples and oranges, it's like a thousand apples versus one apple.
0: Yeah, it's it's the only solution. The only answer to this is that the people who are writing these articles are deliberately Lying here, you know, because this is these are. I mean, I look at these cases that you've quoted, and you know, to be honest, my jaw is dropping a little bit now. But of course, you know, when you explain it, right, that they, they, they had this was an opinion, this was the, their belief, but they weren't benefiting financially from the judgment. Um, then, then you can separate it, and yeah, I see that as a matter of law. That's correct. To to, to try and compare Ginny Thomas's. Unpaid activity to this. Ginny is six. It's like Kevin Bacon. You can always find a a case because Ginny. Ginny actually has has a wide range. She she brings people together, so she's connected to everyone. That's kind of what she does. No, she doesn't have. I don't think Ginny has a particular issue. Right? Funny enough, Ginny doesn't have. I don't want to misquote Ginny or anything, but you know, my my impression is she's she's she brings people together. She's she she says to this person, you should meet that person. But, I, you know, she doesn't have a particular issue that she's hugely passionate that you'd say that's Ginny Thomas's issue. She, she's going to talk about everything. And it's kind of uh, it's kind of like the Supreme Court, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, in a way, you can always find every actor has always been in a movie with Kevin Bacon because he's been in some movie, he, he, so many movies. He just, you know, he's, a, you know, you, you'll always find Jenny right. will always be involved in every political issue because she's a bringer together. She's a coalition builder.
1: I forget his name, but somebody there's called Fix the Court, and the gentleman from that group, which has been very critical, Justice Thomas. Last night he was on PBS, and he said, "We're tired of our activism." And I thought, "Wow, um, you know, again, the ACLU litigation had pretty, pretty, pretty big activist, if you will." Yes. And you know, she's been doing this, as you said, Phelan, for her entire life. Long before she met Justice Thomas, she was in the vineyards of the conservative movement um and as you said she worked up on the hill she worked in the executive branch um she was an elected delegate uh from virginia for for president trump uh for for in in 20 in, uh, 2020 and mm-hmm. so it's you know the, the the it's it's amazing to me that the left that claims to want you know equal rights or whatever you want to call it um uh, is, is demanding that Ginny Thomas give up her career. That's correct. And when she's been doing this her whole life, and then when you look at what her career is and how it doesn't, does not intersect with the Supreme Court and how they make up these connections when yes. right in front of them are these connections that are staring them right in the face, like the ACLU litigation director commenting on a case that's going directly up to his wife, who's a lawyer, who's commenting on the legal arguments You know, um, is is astonishing to me, and just shows the hypocrisy. Um, And then you have, of course, as I I point out my article, in terms of a conflict, if you will, an open mind, because that's what these, you know, sort of conflict of interest Mm -hmm. go to. Right? When you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg ripping into President Trump in 2016, calling him a faker. And and, and 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 saying she's afraid to live in America if this guy gets elected and, and yeah. criticizing him for not releasing his taxes and criticizing the press for not pressing him harder. And then lo and behold, you know, in 2020, 2019, 2020, she sits on a case on what? Donald Trump challenging a congressional subpoena to have to release his taxes, right? So do you think any fair-minded person would think that she could be fair-minded to, to President Trump in that argument when she already was belittling him? Yeah. No and yet she didn't recuse herself and nobody criticized her for sitting on that case. And of course, she ruled against President Trump. Um, So it's the, you talked about the, they really do believe, I think that these rules, however they process it, it doesn't apply to them because they're the good guys. They're Um, the good guys. and And it's very frustrating when I see these new standards applied to the justice and his wife, that just, as I said, have no place in the law or in precedent.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, that's the thing. They believe they're the good guys, so the rules. So they're they're they won't be influenced by the same grubby uh, considerations that, that lesser people would. Um, but also, I mean, they believe in the good lie as well. Uh, that it's, that they can lie. That if they lie, uh, such as not referencing the Ginsburg case or referencing other conflicts, they. Uh, but you. But 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 applying a different standard to the Thomases, they believe that's a, a good lie for the for the greater good, and uh, then they've always had that opinion.
1: You know, I, I just uh, sent out a tweet today on a, a, uh, something I just developed where, you know, Jenny Thomas sent texts to the Chief of Staff yes. concerned about election fraud and urging, yes. you know, Mark Meadows to fight on uh, in the courts uh, to challenge it, right? And I noticed this article yesterday where um, uh, Stacey Abrams, that's a uh, right. uh, uh, lawyer, Um, had made a filing. She's she's been nominated to be an FEC commissioner. Okay, So this article came up. And in 2018, she had filed a lawsuit, filed a brief um, that said that um, that essentially the election was stolen in Georgia and that voting machines had literally changed votes from Stacey Abrams to Brian Kemp. The machine Uh had done that. And um and so here she's making these arguments in court, not just in a text, right? But in court, and what? And so what happens to Ginny Thomas? She comes under fire for you know trying to, to trying to undermine democracy. And is nominated by by President Biden to be on the of all things the Federal Election Commission. So it just shows you the the and of course Stacey Abrams never conceded and said that that election That's was what, stolen. Yeah, in yeah. her testimony, uh, her name is Dara Lindenbaum, She said. Um, Ted Cruz asked her, you know, when you say an election is stolen, does it undermine faith in democracy? And her answer was, uh, well, it depends. Uh, you know, <laughs> it depends on the context. And so, yes. You know, we can never challenge an election where you can't send a text r- raising concerns about an election, election fraud or urging people to fight on uh, in the courts. And, and then I, and it's just a perfect juxtaposition, again, of the double standard of when they do it, you know, when two spouses are working and they're out there and they have different views. They're great, right? Yes. How uh, how progressive and how great they are. When yes. a conservative does it, it's you're corrupt, right? Yes. And of course, yes. there's a little bit of racism too that's layered in with Justice Justice Thomas issue, right? That it's always somehow his wife has undue influence on him. Just like they claim that Justice Scalia had undue influence on Clarence Thomas. And it's such a racist, you know, um, <laughs> smear. Uh, and and that's but 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 again. I think at the end of the day, they've really got spun up. They tried to take Clarence yes. Thomas out in 1991, as you mentioned. I worked on those things. It was awful, yep. unprecedented. Um, he, you know, Justice Thomas uh, fought back, shall yep. we say, and called uh, them out, and was confirmed. Um, and they thought they were trying to marginalize him once he was on the court. And now he's, you know, uh, 30 years later, he is the. They call it the Thomas Court, yes. right? He yes. Has, uh, yeah. 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 Originalist on that court, and must be
0: driving the, yeah i mean i don't it mean must know be
1: driving the the, the,
0: the lot crazy i don't know justice thomas uh but i've you know i've read a lot about him. i've seen the brilliant documentary about him created equal which you can is it's back on amazon yeah. mark is it yeah um and back uh, on amazon. Know, yeah yes, yes uh you can see it on amazon called created equal the life of, of clarence thomas but i mean the idea that anyone would have any undue influence on that man uh, it really is stretching, uh, stretching believability. And you know, Just, sure. Justice Scalia, Justice Scalia, and and uh, Justice Thomas, they both had very similar judicial opinions, I believe, judicial philosophies, and they probably cross, they probably supported each other. Not, not there was no undue influence. But you're right, it's a, it's not a double standard for, for the Thomases. It's a triple, quadruple standard. So uh, on that, on that, on that, um, oh yeah, I believe you're working on a book, uh, book of the uh, Created Equal.
1: Yes, so um, thanks, Phelan. We just finished the book, it's off to the printer. It comes out June 21st. It's called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. And what happened there is the movie was made, it's, and and, and I urge your viewers to, 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 um, to rent that on Amazon. Or on manifoldproductions.com, but it's a it's a two-hour movie about Justice Thomas's life. It was unprecedented in that Michael Pack, the director, uh, interviewed Justice Thomas for 25 hours and Ginny Thomas mm-hmm. for six hours, and um, and it was a two-hour it was it became a two-hour movie. And lots of that interview, obviously, you know, ended up you know not making into the movie. And so yes. when we got done with the movie, I thought it would be great to package up. You know the, the 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 interview and make it into a book. So that's what this yeah. is. It's the follow on to the to the movie. It's called Create Equal. Uh, Clarence Thomas in his own words by Mark Paletti and Michael.
0: Yeah, Pallett. and you can order pre-order it now on Amazon. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, Amazon. Yeah, uh, yes, and Regnery. Yes. Um,
0: so yes. please go, please go to Regnery or Amazon, uh, all our viewers and all our listeners. Please go and pre-order credit an Equal. It'd be nice to have it open as a bestseller uh, on day one, and that's what you got to do. You got to pre-order so that the, all those orders show up in the first week and it gets bumped up the ratings, which will in turn increase sales. Well, Mark, thank you very much. People can get you on at Mark Palletta. That's the Twitter handle. It's M-A-R-K-P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. Yeah? Correct. Okay. Good, good. Thanks very much, Mark, and hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, I have to say it still amazes me When we just discover when we discovered just how dishonest the mainstream corporate media really is. I mean, can you believe? You know, when there was an inconvenient fact about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband, you know, they didn't try and downplay it. They didn't try and sort of twist it. They just lied. They just lied to allow them to attack the wife of a political enemy. Uh, Amazing, amazing um, sign of corporate and media malfeasance. And talking of corporate malfeasance. Location, location, location. Uh, did you see the story? I mean, this is this is wonderful. This is wonderful. You got to admire people's neck. BLM bought a Los Angeles mansion, not that far from here, just up the road from here, up in Studio City, uh, but thirty minutes up the road, and uh, they bought a, a mansion for five point eight million um, for for creation um, and you know as a center of creativity and. Then I suppose, you know, and let's just say they haven't been that creative or that productive. However, the really juicy piece of information is that it was bought a few days earlier by a friend of BLM for $3.1 million. Then BLM paid a few days later, paid $5.8 million. Now, let me tell you, I know a lot about real estate up in Studio City and that mansion is not worth $5.8 million uh you know it may be worth 3 million but it ain't worth 5.8 million up there i've looked at it um so obviously you know what what happened here a friend of blm bought it for 3.1 million and then blm used their charitably raised funds to fight systemic racism in america to pay their friend a, a, and make him a profit of 2.7 million in a few days where did that 2.7 million go who was it distributed amongst we don't know they're not saying but Look, if you want to get ahead in this life, just cry racism, 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 or transgenderism, transgenderism, transphobia, transphobia, transphobia. And, uh, and then when you're criticized, like Patrice Cullors, um, the, who was the head of BLM, who was heavily involved in this transaction, when you're attacked for this obvious um, malfeasance, cry racism yet again and try and shut down the criticism. It's a wonderful life, isn't it? So we're now going on Uh, to the next interview and uh, it's with Anne and someone who has fled from a blue state to a red state it's with Brian Godawa, the screenwriter who wrote the screenplay for My Son Hunter let's go over that interview now
2: so that was a really good interview there with Mark Palette but thank you for that film Um, and thank you Mark for your time really extraordinary what's happening to Ginny Thomas (laughs) we're now joined by our dear friend Brian Godawa. Um, Brian is a screenwriter he wrote the screenplay to end all wars Um, he co-wrote change your life with Adam Christing his book Hollywood worldview watching films with wisdom and discernment is in its ninth printing congratulations for that and of course he's more famous with us for being the writer of my son hunter the screenplay of my son hunter yes coming coming to a screen near you soon more on that um in the next few weeks but uh you probably noticed brian there's some some stuff dropping in the media welcome to the show brian thanks for having me on that's great so listen we've just started this new feature um which i think is going to become huge which is we're interviewing people who've escaped from a blue state to a red state and i'm i'm calling this it could the feature could end up being called you know Oh, I'm a freedom lover. Get me out of here, right? (laughs) So tell us, where were you living before, for your living now? Where were you living? Where are you living now? And why did you leave where you were?
3: Well, before I do, though, I got to say, though, that Phalom has actually called us the rats leaving the sinking ship. Just so you know, that's, you know. Okay, yes, yes. And then I'm like, okay, eventually you're going to be the rats. So just you wait and see uh yeah so anyway i was living in los angeles in fact i was living in california for 30 years and my wife and i lived in um los angeles for 20 years so we were down in orange county uh, the time before that and we we moved out there to be near the film business and that's why i even moved into la just to be closer to connections and contacts and all that kind of stuff so one year ago in the middle of the election like November 4th, we were driving on the road to Texas, uh, where where we moved to. um, And I was actually, I tried to plan it so we'd be out of there in case there were riots. (laughs) But that's just because I didn't know the election was going to be stolen. So, you know. Uh, But anyway.
2: Go go back. Go back. You've you've jumped ahead there. Why did you leave California? We've got beautiful weather here. The beaches are gorgeous. It's extraordinary. As you said, the movie industry is here. And after all these years, after 30 years and 20 years, as you say, in Los Angeles,
3: why did you leave? What happened? Well, it was a compounding of events. And um, uh, my wife had always, not always, but my wife had often, uh, for many years, had been wanting to leave eventually. But we were there mostly for my vision of working with movies. And that really was the heart and soul of everything. And I'm driven by that vision. But what happened was... Um, now, there's a lot of bad things that I was tolerating, but basically it's the governance of the state, the taxes, plus, you know, um, we were living on the west side, which is actually like near Century City, which is actually a pretty nice area, you know, and we were in a, the be- one of the most beautiful parks, which is Roxbury Park, we're right, we're right there, but even then... Um, they started a homeless encampment just down the street near the golf course by us. So homeless were starting to come in. The way that they've been treating the homeless, of course, in LA has just been encroachingly worse and worse. And um, and then and then right in the middle of the riots, where we had riot uh, in Beverly Hills down the street from us, there was there's two major moments that made me you know realize we, we got to get out of here. My wife was always waiting for us to get leave, but one was. When the riots were occurring, the BLM riots, that's when I realized, oh! And they started going down suburban blocks and putting houses on fire in certain places around the country. That's when I thought, like, oh, we're not shelter, sheltered anymore, and that this stuff could really happen down our block. And if I have to defend ourselves, we're probably going to be ones thrown in jail. And that was a really that wasn't the 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 solid thing, but that was the that was one of the major turning points that I'm going okay. Maybe we should get out of here. But then when Hollywood met, when Hollywood went officially, Hollywood's always been woke. And for years, it's been, you know, obviously it's been racist with its equity policies and stuff. But when they came out and started promoting it verbally and just saying, literally like reading in the paper, these uh, producers saying, executives saying, oh yeah, we're not hiring white middle-aged men. You know, we're only looking for people of color and all this. And I'm like, holy cow. And then when they, when they uh, added that, um, those rules onto the Oscar nomination Mm -hmm. nominations. Yes. Yes. I realized that the whole racism of equity was so thoroughly embaked there That there was no longer really much more opportunity for me to make movies there. Now, I had never been in the studio system per se. I've been making independent movies. So we, the goal was, you make your little independent movie and you try to fly under the radar, maybe get Lionsgate to distribute it or something, you know. And but that was when I realized, no, they're going to hunt down the kind of stories I tell. They're going to hunt them down, and and you know. Uh, turn them into woke things that I couldn't be a part of or, you know, n- not hire me, right? So that was when the click in my mind was like, okay, it's really over hopeless for me here now in L.A. Um, that didn't mean I was stopping making movies because I still am as an independent filmmaker, right? But that that showed me that it was dead. Hollywood's dead and particularly L.A. was was so dead that my vision was the dominant thing keeping us there. So all the bad things that we were tolerating immediately when that vision went away it's like i literally i just told my wife that day i'm like honey i think we can leave now because she always (laughs) wanted to right and it's like okay great let's go you know let's sell let's sell the condo and get out you know and um and that was like that yeah that was the year that was during the covid situation and um now where to go was the big issue right and Mm -hmm. yes now everyone has their own situation for us it was because we had gone to california for my vision for 30 years i i said my my wife's a nurse and i said honey wherever you want within reason and you know we i i need to be involved but like wherever you want to go we'll go and we we wanted to go to more red states deliberately consciously we don't believe there's a paradise and we don't believe anything like that but we just wanted to be in a more conservative situation because we've been felt so oppressed by the uh leftist uh governance of our state and attacking you on 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 every level whether it's laws you know uh, defunding the police in la you know it's just like ah you know it's like yeah yeah it's only eventually time's gonna and, and oh by the way the other thing was I know that certain things are coming down the pike for laws and taxes. And the bottom line is, is that the rich never end up paying or it's so minimal for them, it doesn't matter. And the poor never pay. So it's the middle classes, which w- what we are, we would be paying for everything. And we're gonna get the, the hit. And, mm-hmm. and everything's so excessive that we just thought, and the other thing was, what I do wanna say, we never believed that we were going to uh, retire there anyway it was always just a question of but when but when you know mm-hmm. and so that was when the flip switch switch flipped and then i wanted to get out as soon as possible and thank god i didn't know why but everyone was leaving california right like you couldn't get a u-haul trailer
2: that's right that's right, right. And,
3: and and yet we sold our house in like within a week within a few days we had offers on it it wasn't a house it was a condo uh-huh. and um uh, so that's kind of interesting that people were still trying to come in, you know, but that's great because we sold it quickly. We were, we didn't even have, a, my wife didn't even have a job. She just quit and she said, we'll go and we'll find, you know, wherever we can. Now, the way we decided it was, we picked, we were looking at, you uh, Nevada, uh, Las Vegas area, the suburbs, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Uh, yep. Because it's kind of like, we became, we became desert people. Like we love the desert. And so we mm-hmm. love, and we love the, the beautiful mountains and the ocean and all that stuff. My wife's an outdoors person more than I am. Okay. And we looked at Arizona, Phoenix area, cause that's the most, we love some of that environment. Um, mm-hmm. a little hot, but, yes. Uh, and <laughs> Florida was out because even though I would consider, cause I, he's got the best, they've got the best governor in the country, it was the, the hurricanes we both were like nope we do not want to we we're, we're done with that right so basically texas was the last one that i'm like we gotta at least go there because we're going to all these places driving around just getting a feel and a vibe and my wife goes i don't even want to go to texas i want to go to Texas." Well, let's just at least go and make sure and then you can decide and i honestly was willing to go to any of these states uh utah was another consideration mm-hmm. yeah and, um, but when we went there, we drove through, we had a friend living there. He vetted the place for us. Uh, we were driving the Plano area, the, the suburbs of Dallas, basically there's obviously Texas is also varied as well. And we drove through it and it reminded us of our, of our hometown in a way, uh, uh like 30, 40 years ago in Illinois, Chicago ah, suburbs, Right. And it was clean and the vibe felt great and the, and my wife found out anyway that uh, she had a friend who actually had lived there. She forgot to call her, was a nurse for many years. And she called and She said, oh, yeah, there's great, lots of opportunities for nursing, you know, tons of opportunities. And we wanted to be in a place that was thriving. And Dallas yes. is yes. thriving, you know. So where are you? So where are you? You're in a suburb of Dallas right now. Dallas suburbs. And, you know, we we went the furthest out you can be without becoming rural. So, cause yeah, orange, I got you. And at heart, we're Orange County people. Okay. So right. we are actually in a place that a little bit, we don't have the rolling hills and stuff like that, but the vibe is a little bit of old Orange County for us as well. So we're,
2: and what right have you done? Did you, and did you, I know you sent some photographs and I want to kind of go walk through those. So have you bought a house? Are you building a house? What are you doing?
3: Ah, uh, yes. So one of the benefits of being a Californian moving to Texas, you have more um, money
2: <laughs> when you sell here, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we had a condo. And uh, we've been there for twenty years, so it had over doubled doubled in price. But Mm -hmm. um, we were still we were happy that we weren't screwed by the uh, you know if you make over five hundred thousand you know in your uh, capital gains you get taxed. So we were under that, so that was good. But basically, we came and bought a new house that was just being built in texas like i said the outer reach of the suburbs so we still got all our stores around us and right beyond us is all the the bigger fields and stuff like that where other people are moving who like to be away from civilization we want to be near malls and stores still sure. but we just yeah. don't like the city we hate the city you know what i mean so, so what are
2: you building we're i mean i'm looking at some of these pictures now you're showing we're, we're putting them up on screen here what okay. are we building here and so, where are you at
3: with the building first one i think is going to be the the, the for sale sign. So what happened was we were going around looking, this is over a year ago and uh, they're they're building houses. Now the housing shortage is, is real acute even here. Like right mm-hmm. now you get like 10 offers on a house. So it's really hard to buy and even new houses. it's And it's also because of the um, supply chain crisis. Sure. It's like yeah. eight, a year and more for a house, but we hit it right before that all happened. It was obviously COVID with COVID delays. But we also found a inventory house. So they were already building it. It was already pre-designed. It was already in the process. Uh, so we have the shot of us with the framing there. And mm-hmm. so we bought it at that point because we loved the location. We already saw the plan, obviously, of the house. And it was the only plan I liked of all the places we'd seen everywhere. And, yeah, got, we got to buy a new house with cash and have lots of money left over from our sale in California from a wow. condo. And it's yeah. a single-level like, I don't know, 20, 20 to 200 square feet or something. It's not huge, but a lot of huge houses in Texas, that's sure. For sure. But we're and in just And so a when couple. will
2: that... And so you're still building, so it's not done No, yet. no, we're in. We're in. Oh, that, you're in. Oh, so building... now we see, there's the picture of the of the new house then finished. Exactly. So oh, now wow.
3: that's our beautiful little block. We're on the corner. So a lot, of, a lot of times now these new houses, they're built right on top of each other, right next to each other. And it's just horribly, you're feeling scrunched. Yes. We found this corner lot where it's like really airy, no houses around us except for on one side. And it was just beautiful and gorgeous, single level. And yeah, and this, it's a new, the whole, we were just hit the end of the development phase. So in other words, if you buy into a, a new development phase, people are going to be building for a year. And if you yes. move in and they're still yes. building, it's just sure. horrible. Yeah. When we got in, we only had like three months or four months of building around us and it's pretty much done now. So we got it. So the- when
2: you moved, so when
3: you, so first impressions of
2: living in Texas living in Dallas what are the first impressions what strikes okay. you? what's different
3: there's a lot of things first of all I would for, for me personally the biggest thing is the weather I we didn't it's very weathery here. That's the word that you yes, use. Yes, I make weather-y. the point
2: I, I, when I talked to our other guest who has moved from California. She moved to Utah. I said, you know, basically everywhere except for California has a thing called weather. And <laughs> by the way, I think we've all heard you've had some extraordinary weather recently. I mean, dangerous yeah. weather, right? We were tell here, us about that.
3: <laughs> we were here at Snowpocalypse, but we were right, born and raised in Chicago, which we had far worse storms than that. We were without sure. power for three days. It was it was not a big deal for us, but of course, people did die. But anyway, yeah. So the weather. And you don't, when you've lived there, look, we knew it was great and we knew we, we enjoyed it. It's not like we took it for granted, but you can't help but get so used to it that you forget. And now it it was like a month or so after we moved out here and we were, we had an apartment, we were house shopping. Within about a month, I had my first weather dream where I literally, like, I was dreaming that I was like in the palm trees and the beautiful weather and I missed it, you know. So I will, I will admit that I do miss that, that beautiful constant weather um however however there's one thing i noticed living in california because of that you never get a sense of the passage of time because seasons give you a sense of the passage of time and we don't have any kids so we couldn't see it in our kids but it's like it's like and now it's like you go through the seasons you get a sense of passage of time and i didn't realize how it kind of made me feel stunted in the sense that you just feel like everything's the same all the time and there's no real change. And it kind of drag. it kind of, dra- I didn't realize how much it was pulling on me. I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong, I still prefer the beautiful weather in a yes. sense, yes. but I'm appreciating the, the, uh, the, and the other thing about Texas is, though, too, where we are in Dallas. It's mild weather. You know, we yes. had that snow apocalypse, but that was like really rare. And the truth is, is our winters are not really bad. We ha- we have very minimal snow. We do have some hot summers, and it's muggy at times. But um, you know, we've had that as well in California. Okay, so okay. We, so number one, we love one, the seasons, but when, they're not extreme.
2: Okay, so number one, you you're saying weather is a big change. Give me more.
3: What else what, is different? And, and really
2: what strikes you when you go to live in Texas?
3: Okay, one of the biggest things is my, now my wife is an outdoors person, so she misses the mountains, the ocean, and and hiking. Now we have trails, but that's really big to her, and she's getting over it. Though we do have trails, they're just not in mountains and stuff. Okay, right. But one of the biggest things that struck us both was people are nice here. Oh yeah, I okay, mean they're really so genuinely okay. nice.
2: Okay, that is so funny. That is re- so. Funny, Again, you get so used to it. Literally said very literally
3: said the same words. People are so nice. Yes. And you <laughs> just get used to everybody sort of having this sort of selfishness about them in different versions and different ways in Los Angeles. And some are not as bad as others, but it's all sure. everyone's there sort of wondering what how they can benefit from the situation to help their career and all this kind of oh, stuff. God. Even yeah. just with friends. You know, it's just everything. And um, but it's also just, yeah, and I didn't I got so used to the people in Los Angeles that it really yeah. stuck out coming here, and they're oh, just, and don't get me wrong, they're still jackasses, and they're still you know jerks and sure. all that stuff here but but in general, like you know, going to stores, going to restaurants, everything people are just nice and friendly and and interactive, and it's just and neighbors neighbors will chat with you, you know, it's just amazing,
2: so then the other thing um that a lot of people talk about is things like you know, i mean obviously obviously kale you know and arugula are massive problems for a lot of people so have you had any arugula or kale problems uh, <laughs> have you had supply chain issues when it came to those very very californian stables uh, tell us about that what's the story well, with the stores
3: well we have a sprouts down the street from us uh, so we're in a, like we're in a, a suburban area that's a little bit more upscale i would say so no, we haven't had any any lack for that, that I can think of um, that's we've been able to get all the uh, there was some specialty foods that I thought I would have trouble getting but but I, I don't I found them eventually. So yeah, yeah. it's that's but, but I will say I will say this. Well, I, I have no problem. By the way, I'm going to talk about some of the negative surprises, too. But okay, um, uh, so the weather, the people um. And of course, obviously the money we ha- we've saved so much money. I just have piles of it. I think I sent you a picture of the piles of money that we have. Just because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. we don't know That's what right. to do with it. Right. Uh, That's Great. Yeah. yeah. Now you well, do
2: have very high property tax in, in Texas. Now, very. Yes. What, what percentage of your what what is the percent on on property there?
3: It's almost double what it was in Los Angeles. This nice. was one of the big, big downers for me. And by the way, so there's that the, the property taxes and they reassess the value every year, yeah. so I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible," you know. But of course, I've heard that they're working on getting that in in California too to get rid of that that protection <sighs> you have, because we right. were paying on a house, we were paying taxes on a house half half the percentage of what we're paying here, and on the price of a house that was 20 years old, not the current yes. one, right? Correct. So that was Correct. pretty. That was a downer. The other big thing was our uh, our insurances are a little bit more our house insurance, our light our car insurance. And it was like, what? I thought things were gonna be cheaper here. Well because of the weather. Because probably. of the weather. Yeah. We have here's here's one of the other big negative surprises was one thing that no one told us about was hail. And like we got hail some, yeah hail, hail. Problems. oh i know
2: what hail is we know what hail are yeah. not
3: every year but every few years they say they have some pretty big storms that will wipe out whole whole communities, roofs and cars and stuff and i'm like oh no you know so anyway yeah, yeah. the weather does affect the, the car insurance and, and stuff like that and the other thing is we don't have you know they go oh yeah we, we don't have the um uh uh state income tax you know which is good but Yeah, they get it back with the higher property taxes and tollways here. We have to pay the good roads. We don't want to miss the good roads and just to save a few bucks because it's too awesome. So, you know, we're paying a lot more for money. We never had, I I never took a toll road in in California. I know there's a couple of them, but I never took them, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some, I'll admit there's some disappointments here. Now, one of the other big things was restaurants. I was all worried, like, oh, well, in LA, we have all the best quality food in the world because, you know, we've got all the rich people there. Well, not true, not true. We have more restaurants per capita here, actually, than in LA. Now, that's not to say it's all great. Uh, I will say this it's been hard. There are some Asian communities, and my wife and I love uh, Thai, Vietnamese, uh, Korean, and all that. We've been able to find a little bit of some of that. We, we still have not found a great Thai place, so that's a kind of a downer. Oh my God, that's terrible Brian Yeah. You haven't yeah. found a good Thai restaurant? Yeah because they oh, <laughs> they put a out of sugar, they put a lot of sugar in it. <laughs>
2: no, but, and by but, the way, yes they do.
3: Yes I know, that. I, I, I I know will that. Say that. I'm
2: very shocked. I'm always very shocked when I look at Thai recipes and see that yeah,
3: yeah. one uh, cup of sugar. Horrific. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's great. but 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 they didn't have that back in L.A., and we just recently have found one that that is might be good on that on that level. But you
2: see, in in California, that white stuff, that sugar, is obviously illegal. But uh, yes, crack cocaine. Yes crackle can is that's fine, okay you know? yeah, yeah yeah yeah
3: but uh but i did discover steak houses because i mean the best steaks ever yes. now i did i love steak but i for some reason there wasn't that many and i didn't go out on my way to find the upper scale steak places in la because I, I just because i guess we loved all the ethnic foods around us but now we're, i'm going more regularly to steakhouses and they're the best i've ever had anywhere and it's like awesome
2: and how do you like your governor then? So you have Governor Abbott there, is that right? And how 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 are you like him? Yeah,
3: you know he's no Desantis, but he, at least he's not a, a a Newsom. You know what I mean? So in other words, you know he's a Republican and he's pretty conservative. And like you know he, but he, I think he's the kind of guy that barks but doesn't bite as much. But I still have a lot to learn because his most recent uh, thing was, uh, which I loved, was he was announcing we're gonna we're gonna sh- start busing. All, a lot of illegals to Washington, D.C., which I thought was I like saw brilliant. That, yeah. Yeah, I thought a great he idea. should have just done it without saying it, though. And yeah. then I realized he's probably just saying it because he, he's not going to do it. You know, he's not going yeah, to. My Mar- fear. Bring, them
2: in, bring them to Martha's Vineyard in the summer. Um, I want to finish by asking you Give, give us some advice. So give us advice for people who are thinking of moving, people who are who are really unhappy in a blue state who are you know and have been unhappy for a long time and are thinking of making the move. what's What's your big advice? Um, for example, the last guest we had on give, I, I thought it was a really good piece of advice. She said, "Go to the place you're thinking of going to at the worst time of oh, year that's and good. spend time there. You know, so for example, she went to southern Utah and it was like one hundred degrees at night. Um, And she did, you know, she did. She put in a lot of time in that. But, you know, but to kind of see it at its worst, what would be your big piece of advice for people thinking of moving?
3: That is a good piece of advice. And that's one of the reasons why my wife chose against Arizona um, because of that. Uh, However, for us, it was more like go there and hang out there for a week or or a a few days and just drive around and just get the vibe of the kind of areas that you're thinking of, because I think it's, it's intuition and it's very subjective, But Mm -hmm. I think you gotta feel like you love basically where you're at. Even, even the, you gotta love the area that you're at, even if you're not, even if you spend your, like I spend most of my time at my house anyway, right? But, yeah. But I love going out and I love every, everywhere we drive gives me the feeling of like when I was younger in Illinois. And that's a good feeling. So, but trust your intuitive feelings and vibes. And, but go there and hang out in areas where you think you might be looking to get a vibe of the place. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh the, the other thing, well, thing think for us is thank God we knew we were going to buy a new home. And we had a lot of old stuff in California anyway. A lot of it was old. So we just basically, we just got rid of everything, gave it away. And we only took our two cars and filled them up with basics. That's all we did. And we drove across the country and it was wonderful because if you know you're going to move into a new place, don't spend all this money moving everything because you're probably going get, to get rid of half of it anyway, especially if you're a Californian moving into a lower economy where you can afford to get more. It's like, don't waste the money because we were thinking like, oh, i would be like 5,000 to travel uh, to, you know, to ship everything anyway. So if we don't spend that money and then mm-hmm. we buy ten fifteen thousand $15,000 in new furniture, it's not that much anyway, you know? So Yeah,
2: yeah, I got you.
3: Well, um, we've come to the end of this week's um,
2: Anne Phelan Scoop. I know it's a bit unusual because we are without Magda today. Um, but we are very grateful to you, Brian. This is very interesting. I, I, I think you've given us a lot to think about, uh, but I think it's all very encouraging. Um, and so we wish you and your wife very well in your new home in, in, in Texas. And what did you say, film And film is basically saying don't forget to remind everyone to go to mysonhunter.com, give what you can, continue to, to contribute. We want this film to be seen by as many people as possible, and as you probably saw, we, you know, I'll put up the headline right now, we made a big story there in the in the Daily Mail, where they, they showed the photographs from our set. But may, well, Basically, what we did was we recreated the pictures of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden in uh, Popular Mechanics, um, um, we recreated them with our actors, and I think they look just fabulous, so we're beginning to release some material from the film, so we're, we're teasing our audience um, in advance of a, of a full release. But uh, we're so grateful to you, Brian. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, well, interesting. We're going to be making that feature a regular part of the show. Uh, if you'd like to be part of this part of the show, if you've moved from a blue state to a red state and want to talk about the good, the bad, and the indifferent, and the lack of kale, Uh, please write to us in the YouTube comments write to us in the comments in the podcast app write to us on Twitter and we may be interviewing you soon so that's the end of the show for this week I hope to see you soon don't forget if you want to help get My Son Hunter made and out there go to mysonhunter.com that's the movie that tells the truth about the Biden family corruption that's mysonhunter.com thank you and bye